This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the ice Klingon crumbles. of tomorrow's sci-fi review and critique show that travels the galaxy by tube i am gif when i'm joined as always my friend and co-host dr Isix. hi i just realized that to anyone in uh in the uk that just sounded like i said we go around on the subway <laughs> space subways but you know they, they have a two that's the tiny torpedo tube thing that they they yes. fly around and uh, the torpedo it clearly goes through subspace yeah yes <laughs> we're getting into some of the good parts of the season because like by the end of season two they kind of finally had their shit yes. down and unfortunately there's only a couple episodes left after this one so yeah but then there's another season mm-hmm. so, yeah you can you can always look look forward to that <laughs> hooray yeah tng starts getting good <laughs> so we have the emissary which is is completely unrelated to ds9 because that wasn't even like beginning to be conceived of yet yes it'll take a while you know there's still a is this whole star trek thing gonna like continue and work people seem to be watching it i guess yep now it's one of those forever franchises that will and can never die yes. <laughs> It's kind of weird to think about just how fragile it felt to everyone for so long, and now it's just like mm-hmm. no, it's it's just a it's one of those cultural IPs that will be around forever. I suspect it will uh, have times where it kind of uh, falls apart for a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's probably going to last a good long while. Uh, in fact, I uh, <laughs> uh, I was uh, you know taking in a book the other day, and uh, you know one of the sort of side uh, I guess jokes is like, wow. This guy actually knows about Star Trek. It's been like 200 years. <laughs> I guess it depends on uh, when this current studio system boom of of never making anything new peters out. True. But uh, I, I I hope at the very least uh, it by never making anything new, they keep uh, adopting books and I get published and uh, get movie deals uh, before then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Assuming people still read, you know. Yes. In the 10 years, enough to recognize books. <laughs> I don't know. I've found out about books from movies before. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, speaking of people there. who write things. Uh-huh. Who are writers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this was written by Richard Manning and Hans Brimmer and Thomas H. Calder, because because we had so many writers. This is, There's three. There's three writers this episode. It's great. Uh uh, for for Thomas, this is his uh, only, uh, I guess, uh, writing credit for uh, movies and TV and things like that. Um, but uh, this was actually based off uh, his, uh, I guess, unpublished uh, story. So, mm. yes, as far as I can tell, since there's, there so doesn't seem to be a ton on him because you know he wrote this one. Uh, but uh, that means uh, this is technically an adaptation. So we should get uh, Dominic Noble over here to talk about it. (laughs) A lot of them are, if you think, look at it that way. True. (laughs) (laughs) Need to get that. Actually, I need to get that weird. uh, That was the animated series one. That was the full adaptation of the weird sci-fi story, I think. Oh, no, that was. um, (laughs) Never mind. Sorry. Yeah, that was the Gorn episode was the adaptation of the weird sci-fi story where the aliens put people in a fighting pit. Mm -hmm. So uh, there, uh, I believe uh, uh, at least one of the uh, animated series was uh, apparently also a, like a ripoff of a comic. Mm. 
Yeah, that's what you know, I was like. Of. <laughs> anyway, since we've been going on about DS9, Manning and Blimmer were co-producers for TNG for uh, part of this and the third season, and they both did DS9 writing later. So, haha. Right. Also, uh, Richard Manning uh, was apparently a producer for uh, a little show called Farscape. I need to finish watching. <laughs> The, the the series ending is very kind of out of nowhere, but the uh, the follow up movie is uh, pretty good except for the plot about the baby. Oh, <laughs> <babies>. <laughs> well, it's not so much the baby itself, but the pregnancy. Anyway, <laughs> well, we have some guest stars, ones that 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 were here before, and ones that will be here mm-hmm. again. Yes. So first we got Susie, Flaxen, back. But but not as a Vulcan this time. Mm-hmm. She not keeps coming back, the but they can, she only plays the same character twice. Yes, mm-hmm. a, a slowly uh, evolving acting role will even show up in Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I believe they're yep. Andorian. All over. <laughs> but uh, before she played the Vulcan medical officer in Schizoid Man, in this she is playing Kellar. Kellar. But you is, know, uh, yeah. given Klingon spelling, it's a little weird to look at. And it's like. Oh, yeah, that is how you say it. <laughs> yep. It's just Klingon name. Klingon name number five. <laughs> She'll uh, come back with this character again. Then she will play the female Q in Voyager and, you know, be in uh, Enterprise. And later she'll be in the sitcom Mad About You. And um, she had a recurring character in How I Met Your Mother. Hmm. She's been a lot. <laughs> yes. Here and there and everywhere. Code Blue. Joji Gamer. E. Futurama. Yep. Then we've got Lance Legault, who plays Captain Ketimok. So hard to, to not get into these. Yes. Ketimok. <laughs> <laughs> he's best known for his role in the A-Team, but he's been in everything from Wonder Woman to Knight Rider. He was just, you know, around then. Yes. <laughs> so I was also in uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation as uh, an Elder God. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's Quantum been an Elder God. Who hasn't been an Elder God? <laughs> and Magnum P.I., Nightmare Beach, and Kidnapped an Airwolf. <laughs> and um, there's a bunch of other Klingons who, who mm-hmm. have little bit bits. Uh, finally, I think we've got Anne Elizabeth Ramsey, who's playing Ensign Clancy, who's just the person sitting at Con because she was also on Mad About yeah. You with, uh, with Susie plaxton up here then i just thought that was kind of fun so this is the mad about you episode yes yeah mad about you she plays uh lisa stemple i've not really seen much or any of mad about you i just know it exists and have you know when it was on sometimes you watched it yeah I've, i've not seen a single episode of that ever i don't even know what it's about so i suspect there's someone who's angry about something yeah (laughs) <laughs> that sounds about right oh it was a castle for an episode huh. so we open now with the staff playing poker because this is going to be a motif that we keep coming back to mm-hmm. uh Worf is winning handily this time when they are suddenly called away by a class 11 emergency signal well that seems uh, either very high or very unimportant depending on how they rank these things because yeah. star trek sometimes one is like the most important sometimes it's the least important well generally in military stuff they do mark it backwards so that you you are like able to tell at a glance very easily and, and they just count down 
you know. <laughs> also, it's a little silly because you'd have to keep shuffling stuff around, you know. Yes. It does make the most sense to say one is the most important and then you just move out from there instead of defining some arbitrary number way down, you know. If you say the most yes. important is number 20 and then you wind up with too many more kinds of important things. You have to like shuffle <laughs> stuff and now the most important one is number 25. Yeah, it gets a little awkward. <laughs> so it lets you just expand out, you know. You get DEFCON 17 through 18 later and... <laughs> So, you know, the, the the point in the uh, the the emergence of the the next major world conflict uh where uh, people start uh, eyeing each other in an annoyed fashion that's defcon 18 and <laughs> <laughs> so they get to the bridge um where they were ordered to divert course with no additional information just just go be there uh, okay then um so i have guess we have a place to be um yeah. All right. They are eventually contacted by an admiral who just tells them that they will be rendezvousing with a special envoy who is traveling to them via Class 8 probe, which is just a very small Warp 9 capable box that you can fit a person in if you take all the other equipment out. Yeah. So uh, basically, you know, here's a, your breathing mask, um, here's your heater, um, I guess you probably need an O2 tank and maybe an oxygen, uh, an air scrubber just so you don't get CO2 poisoning. And um, hope you don't have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, we've shoved you in a spacesuit and then put that spacesuit in a box and then flung that box into the darkness of space. Good luck. <laughs> Hopefully you don't miss your rendezvous. <laughs> so they find the probe and beam it aboard. Riker meets the envoy, who is a Klingon woman. Well, half Klingon, as she uh, identifies herself. Kalar. Mm -hmm. She's introduced to the rest of the crew, except that she already knows Worf, because I guess all Klingons know each other. God. It's... Uh... Yeah, especially ones that have spent any time on Earth. That means mm. they're both best friends with Lana Torres, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I guess know the uh, the holograph uh, Klingon that uh, the uh, the Doctor and Voyager comes up with uh, or uh, has in his uh, one uh, program, and. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, this is an interesting one. They never go into this stuff very much but this here this in a military context is exactly why you never question higher up orders because you don't know everything that's going on no. if you question why you're supposed to be at this place this person flies by and dies in the vacuum of space <laughs> it's like well you missed the rendezvous so we don't know where they are now and that means they're probably dead yeah. also it's been like a week <laughs> so she finally that's explains what? why the federation is center here and why they needed to you know uh, launch her by probe uh, that bit doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I think it's all sort of a, uh, you know, there's a timing issue. And it's like, yeah, we want to make sure we get out ahead of this, like, right now. Because, yeah. you know, we don't know exactly all the details given we are, we were not given all the details. Just a general vague, this is going to happen now. That we need to rush really fast part makes sense. But uh, there there are other Warp 9 capable ships. Ideally. <laughs> um, maybe the Enterprise was the closest one. <laughs> so the Klingon ship that was sent out about 75 years ago has just sent out an activation signal which suggests the crew have been asleep since the Klingon war so um, quite a bit of a, a journey to be uh, taken uh, while in uh, cryotubes you know just you know, I, you know I guess they just assumed that the war would last forever or they would have won by that point yeah or they were supposed to get there sooner 
Yeah. <laughs> oh no, someone forgot to turn on our engines. <laughs> so in a minute, they're going to have a ship full of angry Klingon warriors who don't know that the Federation is at peace now. Yeah. Especially with, particularly with the Klingons. <laughs> and they will be in range of several completely undefended Federation colonies. There's a Klingon ship on the way, but it's two days behind. Oh, uh, I guess uh, we... Uh... You know, we got to get there first because there's kind of no one else to do this. Um, okay, well, these Klingons, uh, they're probably uh, a little antsy about being frozen and maybe frozen for a little too long and uh, looking for a fight because, you know, they were looking for a fight probably when they left. Yeah, and they, to them, they just woke up like 10 minutes ago, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Troy shows Kilar around. They bond over being half-human. Uh, Kilar meets... Worf to plan their encounter with the Klingon ship. She wants to talk about their past and thinks Worf is unemotional and standoffish. It's like, Worf? No. <laughs> Who would have thought that? That's that's implausible. <laughs> she is also upset that no one on the ship is really on board with her. Let's just kill all the Klingons idea. Well, this is straightforward and it would give them an honorable death. Um, you know, it's also, you know, just kind of killing a bunch of people that well, they haven't really done anything yet. <laughs> and uh, she's also kind of mad that Worf thinks there could be another option because he's he should be Klingoning over there. Hmm. So she runs oh. back to a room, smashes a glass table with her bare hands. It's good, good job for thick Klingon skin, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> oh well, maybe uh, you know in the future every uh, bit of furniture is actually prop breakable furniture, so it would save you some it would save you some injuries yes uh, though whenever the ship uh, shakes due to inertial damper uh, failures you know it just means everything in your uh, your quarters has now been destroyed so you know really what they've done <laughs> is invent uh, safety glass that shatters to look like regular glass so you don't hmm. break the illusion ah. <laughs> but the real question is why aren't they making things out of something other than glass like you have much more sturdy probably lighter see-through materials by this point well maybe it's like some sort of smart super glass that it can be either impossible to uh, damage at all or if a fist is coming at it it transforms its material properties to be instantly shatterable yeah that way you can break it in anger <laughs> whenever you want yes and that and that way you don't hurt your hand by running into it so uh, troy shows up and suggests that maybe kalar would like to try killing fake things in the holodeck instead of breaking real things in her quarters yeah. oh, all right that, that sounds fine uh you know this holodeck you speak of uh can i just create a bunch of wharfs and just beat him up for a while <laughs> i mean they never try that <laughs> you, one would think like this this comes up a few times they like have a whole thing of how we never need to restrict anyone from doing anything because they wouldn't do anything wrong which mm -hmm. i can get on board with but uh a few things later they should maybe have some minor checks on whether or not you can make the computer create holodeck versions of your crewmates yes <laughs> You know, I, I guess, uh, yeah, because, you know, we definitely have an episode where that's happening. And uh, uh, and then later, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the same character also has a uh, holographic version of Voyager he spends a lot of time with. Uh, that's a whole different series. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of freaks out at Nadbrol, who's like, you're, you do it, you're, you're role playing with my, my holographic version of my song. That's that's upsetting me. Ah, <laughs> Um, but on the flip side, uh, we have that one uh, instance of uh, Tuvok having a holodeck program where he's, uh, you know, like eating lunch and then suddenly Neelix starts annoying him. So he murders the holographic Neelix. Yeah. 
Well, you can yeah. just use it for catharsis, <laughs> and then the counselor should probably alert a counselor. Yes. But uh, I believe the the counselor on the Voyager uh, like died on you know, the first episode, so uh, yep. this is all all Tuvok has to uh, get his uh, anger side out, and well, and blocking that off from his uh, available options might be a you know it might result in fewer crew members. Well, especially around. since Neelix is the counselor. Yes. <laughs> Morale officer. <laughs> so Kalar finds Worf's workout program that we've seen before, uh, and now, goes now, in. Now, now before before you go to the full program, there, uh, there's also a listing of other quotes uh, like your exercise programs that uh, is you know it's, it's a little hard to see, but it's there. And among them is a scuba diving uh, program, uh, the calisthenics program of Worf, of course, Shikar uh, uh, Desert Survival on Vulcan. Carnival celebration, <laughs> Rio de Janeiro Earth, <laughs> and uh, you know a couple others, and then you know Dixon Hill, the long dark tunnel. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, carnival fits in that category. <laughs> does sound like it would give you a workout. Yes, <laughs> I mean Dixon Hill, the long dark tunnel, is maybe just when he runs down a long dark tunnel. Yes, <laughs> there's a mystery you have to solve before you get to the end. <laughs> so this is the same workout program that we saw before with Worf and Riker. Uh, Kalar goes inside and finds a ridiculously large glove. Yes. This, this glove. is a weapon or something. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> now you're playing with power. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Worf is angry and Picard orders him to relax, so he goes to the holodeck. But he finds <laughs> that his program is already running. Hmm. He uh, watches Kalar fight. She makes fun of his program, and then he goes, Computer. Level two. <laughs> but uh, now there's two players, so it doesn't seem like it's yeah, um, you know, harder. <laughs> you know, there's uh, two players, uh, more dudes. Uh, they have weapons now, that, so you have to, like, stab them and stuff. And there's kind of a cool moment where, like, Worf, like, cuts a guy, like, you know, uh, diagonally. And he, like, fizzles and things like that. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, cool stuff, you know, as far as special effects of the time goes. And yeah, so they're eventually victorious. Yeah, yeah, they kill the people. They have swords. Then they attack each other. Um, <laughs> fight for a minute. Draw blood. Fade to black. Um, if they were human, this would be them laying in bed with cigarettes. Yes. Uh, before we go to the fade of black, there is a little like uh, sniffing at each other too. So they're obviously into uh, you know a musk play, <laughs> and um, you know I you know and uh, so uh, good on them for knowing what they like. So they have a bit of a discussion about um, jokes and how Worf only talks when he has something to say. <laughs> Not a bad policy overall. And you know Worf, it's like small talk is kind of pointless. Um, plus, I don't have any small talk to talk, so <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, he says they could have done. They say they could have done this six years ago, except Worf thinks that then they were too young to be married. And then he starts yelling something in Klingon. And uh, Kayla goes, wait a minute. Nope, we aren't getting married. That that was not what that's, this was. Yeah, but yeah, you're, we're having mixed signals here. Oh, no. I wanted some Klingon D. I did not want this whole marriage proposal. I, I didn't want the uh, the, the uh, D. Uh, ooh. Um. That didn't work out very yeah, do you well. Want to, do you want to think about that joke for another second? <laughs> so, um, Worf, Worf's a bit pissed because, you know, I guess casual sex hurts his honor or, or something. Yes. 
Never mind that other Klingons get up to it all the time, but, you know. Worf is very... Th- this makes sense for Worf's yeah. weird shit. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, once again, being uh, a, a complete uh, weeboo, as they say, uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, you know, Klingon culture and things like that, going with the uh, perfect ideal that he has in his head, uh, which says that honor is this, that, and this other thing. While the the reality, it's a little more complicated. But um, you know, he's going to go with his version of things, and uh, you know, the consequences be damned. So uh, later on, War still needs to work with Kalar on their plan. So he brings in Data because Data is the best chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of calls him out on it too it's funny yeah. but uh Kalar's just sort of mean to data who's just sort of amicably confused by the entire thing <laughs> like oh people are being surly hmm. <laughs> how neat <laughs> so she's finally ready to give her recommendation to the captain either they get there before the klingons wake up and then they just keep them from doing that until the other klingons arrive and explain to them what's going on mm-hmm. or they kill them all there that's all those are off yes so uh that kind of sucks still and uh that means we need to find these guys like sooner rather than later right yeah they say even you know even if you disable the ship the klingons will just blow it up themselves so yes so i guess well, i guess at least at that point it sort of becomes like a, a prime directive thing right because you know it's like well we we disabled them and then what they do internally eh, it's up to them not our problem <laughs> We've got to respect their culture. Their <laughs> suicide culture. Yes. Hmm, that unsustainable murder cult comes back again. Huh? So for a moment, uh, they get there, and it seems like everything's fine because the ship's not fully powered. But yes, and we got some good uh, stock footage from uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture kind of flying at us, so that's yeah. kind of cool. God, you just need, you know, you need warbirds. They all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> pay no attention to that it's fine and uh, then um the warbird shoots at them in cloaks so they're probably awake yeah either that or it has some sort of automated system or ai in charge that uh, uh you know keeps the uh, sleeping klingons safe and uh yeah so we don't have to worry about anything right yeah it's fine <laughs> and uh Jordy also can still detect them even though they're cloaked because it's a 70 year old ship and they've gotten a little bit better at this sort of yes. thing <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I, I guess there's always sort of an arms race when it comes to cloaking and uh, detecting cloak stuff, mm-hmm. kind of running throughout Star Trek. Uh, like the uh, Sulaban cloaks in Enterprise, it's like, yeah, this is a problem. We can't see them. Oh, we found a device that can see them. Okay, well, I guess we just got to keep that thing mounted and we're good to go. <laughs> I just now, like you know, this um, this whole solution they have here. Is I mean, they they could have gone even further with this at some points. Just like this ship is seventy years old. This is the most advanced starship ever built. Yeah. <laughs> the, they, they aren't even going to dent our shields. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know how to deal with this kind of disruptor blast. You know, it's like a little energy drain, but it doesn't, doesn't disrupt our shields at all. <laughs> so Kalar, of course, in favor of killing them all. You know, she's like, at least they can die as Klingons, etc. But Worf has a plan. <laughs> Because Worf hmm. plans. Yes, because Worf has learned something about his time on the Enterprise, that sometimes there's more than one option. So they overtake the Klingons and put themselves directly in their path, which uh, tells the Klingons they can be detected and are probably uh, in trouble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the Klingons appear and fire, and the Enterprise hails them. And the captain of the Klingons is confused because Worf and Kilar in full Klingon uniform are on the bridge crew in the captain's chair. Oh, uh, uh, hello there. Uh, uh, 
What's going on here? I'm confused. <laughs> Captain Worf is quite upset that the Warbird is firing on them because they are at peace with the Federation. And how dumb are you to think the war would still be going on after 70 years, you idiots? <laughs> you, tur you left yourselves in free uh, cryo-freeze for way too long, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Ketamak does not know if he can be trusted, but Worf goes, I am on a Federation ship, you dingus. But I guess <laughs> I'll just have to kill you. Fine. Mm -hmm. And Fire phasers, everyone. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, figure out what's going on so we don't die pointlessly. <laughs> yeah. So Kalar prepares to beam over to Klingon ship and take command until they can be turned over to the Klingon Empire that's on its way. Uh, she and Worf admit they have feelings for each other and their paths will cross again. Yes, and they will. Foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Finally got oh. Worf a girlfriend. They have been trying to get her specifically to be yes. Worf's girlfriend for two entire episodes. <laughs> I still say it would have been way more interesting if uh, the Vulcan thing had worked out. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, Worf having to uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, come to terms with cultural differences, but also the uh, you know, he's very restrained in a lot of ways, and that's something that Vulcans can really respect. So oh. you know. Worf's, Worf's sexy Vulcan girlfriend. <laughs> that would be great. They could like have all kinds of jokes. They could Data could be saying something about them them going on a date, and you could just see them both sitting there staring at each other across the room, you know, not saying anything. <laughs> I do not understand this mating habit of these two. Mm -hmm. Well, the majority speaks up, like, well, sometimes things when it comes to cross species, uh, you know, interactions can be complicated or very simple. They I guess they just like thing. each other's company. He could have gawk and eating live food is illogical. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Killing your food and eating it is killing your food and cooking it before you eat it is inefficient. <laughs> Depending on your biochemistry, of course. So uh, we've uh, saved the day, and uh, you know, uh, Worf uh, has a love interest, and uh, hopefully, she'll be back for many, many, many more episodes. Right? Yeah. She wouldn't wouldn't fridge. No one would would do that. Yeah, and uh, in fact, I, I, I recall reading something at some point about uh, they actually kind of felt like screwed up with what they did with her character in the next uh, time she shows up, uh, because she was popular and is popular still. But too late. <laughs> she's, yeah, it's like yeah, this is uh, you know an interesting character that has an interesting dynamic one with one of the series regulars. Keep them around. Come on. Yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, but that—that's for a future episode. Yes, uh, and uh, if you're—if you are going to fridge someone, don't do it in the traditional ways. Always try to change it up so it's not just awfulness. Okay, you know, you know, someone's been put in the fridge, but they're not actually dead. Do do do. They're just really cold. Yeah, they just thought a nuke was going off. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> And now they're lost in space for 75 years in cryogenic storage. The space fridge. So this is this is an interesting, because this is um, when they've started doing more Klingon-y stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. now they've got the movies going. It's like, oh, people like know that Klingons like have their own culture. They're not just like the enemy that is over there. Yeah. We should they, like they, explore that. They, they sort of sprinkled in some bits and pieces with Worf, but they didn't really have anything codified mm -hmm. until the movies started coming out. And then they had to like, well, now the Klingons are this different thing. 
They're their yes. own thing. We have had to invent a language, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, something about honor, I guess, is a thing now. So yeah, they're basically let's go with that. <laughs> they're basically a drastic Western misunderstanding of Japanese culture. But yes, you and, know. Uh, you know, and uh, as uh, that, that one uh, uh, musician, I think they're uh, uh, Voltaire. Uh, you know, with uh, leather pants, frizzy hair, and lobsters on their heads. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Heavy metal rockers for the dead. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into their uh, weird misunderstanding of samurais for, for Klingons, but they try to do space samurais. I, I don't know enough about this. I would want to get someone who's, whose actual culture this is to talk about that one. But this, this what we got here, is some uh, really interesting immigrant dynamic stuff. Hmm. Oh, what's yeah, so immigrants that are frozen? No, the other ones. These guys are just these guys are just there. The frozen people are just space seeding over there. Yes, <laughs> but Kalar, you know, uh, mi- uh, you know, a, a mixing of cultures and uh, peoples, and uh, you know, someone who is uh, has uh, two backgrounds that are you know, it, you know, in partial uh, harmony and partially in conflict, and uh, how they sort of react to it is, is their own business, really. But you know, it does result in a broken table. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got you've got the juxtaposition between KLR as the half human, half Klingon who feels at war with herself and cannot fully integrate into either society, mm-hmm. and you're juxtaposing her with Worf, who is full Klingon but raised by humans and has taken that excuse to basically fully commit himself to a Klingon identity to, as we will begin to see, utter absurdity. Yes. <laughs> to the point where other Klingons are like, tone it down. <laughs> yeah. Because this is the, um, this is kind of an interesting dynamic that they have here because Worf has created his own belief system based on his own cultural heritage and history, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting thing to do. It's also as we will see when compared to other Klingons, um, very, like, Russian-inspired, given who his Earth parents were. Yes. So he's mixed some of that in there, which is an interesting thing to get the influences on. Mm-hmm. And he is able to be incredibly hardline on it, to the point where he, like, sees very, very simple solutions to complex problems later and... and like actually fully commits himself and believes in all of this stuff to the point where he's made it work for himself. He's a like good person because mm-hmm. of his honor code and he helps others and does all of these really important selfless things because of this code of conduct that he's created for himself based on his cultural identity. Indeed. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not honorable to uh, slay the weak, so I'll, I'll like protect them and stuff. So. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and the reason that he's able to fully commit himself to this is because from a very, very young age, he never really had it challenged by real world people who were also practicing any version of this. Indeed. Yeah, he had his parents who were like, oh, uh, good on you, kid. Uh, I guess keep going. So, yeah, he was able to create something that worked for himself. And Kalar, who had to try to bridge the gap between two worlds, is in the position where she sees immense problems and hypocrisy with both. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be uh, all sorts of snarky and kind of poke fun at, and holes at things here. And that just 
bugs wharf like crazy. Yeah, she was either raised around humans who thought she was strong and angry because she was a Klingon, or Klingons who thought she was weak and human. Yes. And uh, perhaps a little bit of both at some point. <laughs> so she interestingly is in fact advocating for the more klingon way of doing things because she just sees the entire honor system as sort of stupid and in some ways advocates for this let's just let them die the way they want to plan because you know it's a stupid ideology you don't have to think about it very hard they're dumb and want to die in battle so let's just do that yeah, just give them what they want and we don't have to worry about anything and yeah, they're not going to complain about it, and uh, no one else is going to complain about it, so what's the problem? Yeah, where the, in the way that uh, Worf is thinking about it, he has created a system by which he believes that that's wrong, both because of his Federation influences, but also because there's no particular honor in him destroying a 70-year-old useless warship. Yes. <laughs> you know, sure, there are warriors there, and sure, they're uh, you know looking for a fight, but... You know, it's so mismatched, it's just absurd. You know, they have no chance. It's basically a suicide mission if they try to attack Enterprise. Yeah, there's so, no particular reason to fight someone who can't fight back. What's the point? Yes. <laughs> there's no honor in the victory there, so I don't want to do it. <laughs> so yeah. it's an interesting thing to look at with the the person who has fully embraced this to the point that they actually believe all of the stuff that you're not really supposed to believe because <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the ideal that you know that uh, you know that we put on the tin but you know in terms of practicalities no one actually follows that yeah this is actually a like fundamental problem that you hit with extremist ideologies because the the person who believes the thing to the letter is always going to be a problem because you say we care about people and we're fighting for justice and democracy and etc but you know that you need to make sacrifices and cut corners and do all these things the person who believes it so fully that they're gonna call you on doing that is actually a big problem for you running things yes it's like oh um i guess you're going to cause a problem now because we're trying to do the most practical thing that's going to do the least harm to people because you have certain rules that you that you want to be followed. Hmm. Well, it goes both directions. You can have this person's trying to do something practical and this person gets in your way because they want you to follow the rules, but you can also have something with more of a cult akin mentality that is advocating for these things that they don't really expect you to do like we're actually here to help people even though it's basically an excuse we use for blatant paternalism and controlling people's yes. lives <laughs> but then someone who believes in actually helping people looks at that and goes like you're not actually helping anyone though aren't we Indeed. here to help people <laughs> yeah you, the, the, uh, what you're being what you're advocating here is getting in the way of your mission and but you are saying that by following what you are advocating that is helping people even if it's really not doing that uh but uh, there's you know how do i get you to see that uh that's maybe a, a more complicated question than we have time yet for here today because if you look at the example that we're given in this juxtaposition you have klr going klingon 
honor codes, which are dumb and I don't bother thinking about as a nuanced system that anyone believes in or lives by, say that dying in battle is good. So anytime we can kill a Klingon in battle, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Worf is like actually believes in this thing more than most other Klingons do, as we'll continue to see, has a nuanced understanding of how this system both interacts with the way that the people on the other ships see themselves and how he sees himself and how those two things correspond with each other in a complicated system that lets him think outside of this very simplistic understanding of the Klingon honor code. Yeah, you know, Worf was like, yeah, I understand that dying in battle would be honorable for them in terms of the... Uh immediate sort of uh, vision they might have of the situation but i also know that given the information that i have that it wouldn't really be an honorable death and plus you know in terms of my own honor there's you know complications there so it would probably be better for everyone's honor involved if we didn't just kill them huh. so you know well you can say that that direction because she is not very concerned with her own honor in the situation mm -hmm. she doesn't believe in it yeah but it might be an honorable death for the people that you kill because they went out fighting a large unbeatable foe but it's certainly mm -hmm. not going to be an honorable victory yeah <laughs> so uh yeah, I, I will, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's in some ways, Kalar's position is the one where it's like, yeah, no one's going to complain if we do this because, you know, to do other, to, to complain about it would basically mean that the Klingons that are complaining don't care about their honor or something. So, you know, we can kind of just get away with this. But by the same token, Worf's complete obsession with his own cultural belief in honor uh, doesn't bother to communicate with the person that he's having sex with mm -hmm. to the point that he decides that that means a marriage proposal because that's what he's decided that means culturally for him without yeah. <laughs> communicating that belief system to her in any way um, which you know that kind of thing really shouldn't come out of left field for you if you're if you're in an intimate enough position where you are having sex with someone you you probably mm -hmm. should be communicating with each other enough to understand what that means for each of you so that nobody winds up in a disappointing or embarrassing position later yes you know uh, there, so some Klingon marriages uh are are fast in this, in this franchise some of them are very uh slow in terms of getting to the point but I am glad that Worf does eventually I guess chill out on this front <laughs> uh and it's like oh uh, i guess maybe there uh, i should go with the whole traditional Amer uh, klingon marriage uh, thingamajig and actually do all the various ceremonies and stuff with my my, uh, my partner the, you know who's down the line uh miss uh Chadzia dax uh and uh and not just you know spring it on someone out of the blue especially yeah. when that person obviously is not super into Cleon stuff. So they ruin his, they, I don't know, they do some weird shit with his character in DS9 yeah. that makes that not as straightforwardly better. Yeah. Yeah, plus there's some, you know, some of it's played for laughs too, so. Yeah. You know. But you can look at this because he like, in this scene where he is, you know, proposing marriage and saying it is dishonorable for, he has, like she's dishonored him, etc., etc. Um, the fact that she's upset and runs off and they then have to deal with stuff later is what he uses to re-examine his belief system. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that we've consistently seen out of Worf so far is that one of the things that he immensely values is not dishonorably harming others. Yes. Which, you know, you've now done. You've ticked someone off to the point that you can't even work together anymore. Mm-hmm. 
So, so if uh, your belief system runs into that kind of issue, you either double down and say other people are wrong, or you do the thing that Worf's doing here and re-examine what part of your belief system is causing the problem. Like, hmm. So, uh, pulling, you know, this uh, sort of out of the blue here, even though it did kind of feel like we're flirting, was maybe a little too much. Yeah, maybe hmm. I made some presumptions about what this meant for everyone. And, yeah. you know, I'm not the only one who gets to decide these things. Yes. So uh, maybe we should talk a little bit and uh, sort out our our actual feelings and, uh, you know. And then you get to go, hey, belief system modified. Good job. Hooray! I will now not jump instantly to conclusions on this particular front. Go, go me. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, Wolf's internal honor system dealing with uh, to you know, the, the different value systems of another person. Now, there is also uh, more to be said about the Klingon honor system in total, uh, especially when it comes to the practicalities, but uh, we'll have plenty of time to sort of go into a lot of the details there. But suffice it to say, the uh, version of uh, Klingon honor that uh, Worf runs around with is uh, very much sort of his internal, uh, 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 you know, sort of version. But there's also something to be said about, like, honor as in sort of the general acceptance of someone in a society. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the rules being sort of set up to sort of uh, be like, yeah, these are the things you praise, these are the things you don't praise, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's less about, you know, finding one's own behavior as good or bad, but how are you going to fit into the group? And Klingon honor really uh, has the same sort of function as Vulcan logic. It's just a thing that they say, but you can basically use to justify anything. A bit, yeah. <laughs> You're uh your, your internal uh, you know, values and what you've already kind of wanted to see out, come out of the situation uh, sort of taints a bit about how you're going to make use of the various levers of uh, the argument on this particular front. And, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, this is uh, obviously going to be the honorable way to go forward. It was super honorable for me to poison that guy because that means I get to be in a position of power and honor thing. So, you know, yeah, so, overall, the honor works out positively. <laughs> Yes, I was victorious in this battle of wits. <laughs> <laughs> you see, there's uh, two cups in front of us. I decided to pick this one and take a drink. <laughs> oh, no. They put the poison in both cups. <laughs> Grand Negus? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, that would be an interesting sort of uh, go, a Klingon version of the Princess Bride, you know? They would just kill each other. Well, you know, there's, you know, <laughs> like, you know, make the man in black just wharf. <laughs> like, you have honored me with this battle. And by uh, your surrender, I have vanquished you. But I feel bad about actually killing you. And yeah, it works right up until you get to that scene where he's like, there is no honor in mind games. He just throws a knife at the guy's head. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that all week. Anyway. <laughs> So, uh, what else do we got? You could do a trailer with all of the uh, with all of the Sherwood footage. Oh, that's true. Worf <laughs> running through the forest. Hmm. An attack being attacked by rats. <laughs> oh, uh, like uh, um, oh, Cardassian voles or something like that. They're kind of giant rat creatures. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you could make this work. Anyway, the only other thing we've got in this episode is literal sleeper soldiers, which um, yes. are mostly there to in, to make the plot happen. Um, we don't know anything about why they did this. Uh, they they had fully warp-capable ships. 
um, 75 years ago, and we know the Klingons were just running around doing stuff. There's yes. uh, no particular conceivable reason they would travel in this way. Would you say that it is inconceivable? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think that yes. word means what you think it <laughs> But I, I guess uh, there might be like a whole bunch of things going on sort of behind the scenes in terms of uh, the uh, diplomatic situation with the Klingons, because the you know the you know it's like yes this is a priority you know crazy loving whatever thing but you have to go meet up here and uh you know you know they the Klingons didn't tell us what the actual mission they were on was so we just assume it was to attack something maybe um etc etc and we're just going to leave out a bunch of details uh you know in terms of the plot the details don't matter but it might be sort of implying that there was some grand strategy being put together by the Klingon Empire at the time that this ship was a key portion of and either it's going off as you know intended originally but they kind of lost track of things in the decades that happened between point A and point B uh, or it was supposed to be like a 25 year uh, trip and they just didn't set their clock correctly (laughs) (laughs) or they went off course or some some such yes yeah, you know, you know, send in a ship without uh, their warp engines on, uh, so it's much harder to detect. Uh, turns on automatically when it reaches this destination, and maybe the original destination was like, you know, would have been, uh, you know, like a, a five-year journey. And yeah, the war is still probably going on at this point since we've already, you know, in, in one form or another. Mm. You know, we, in fact, it might be uh, one of those things where they send it out uh, when there's sort of you know, a, a smell of a, a possible peace treaty happening. So it's like, we'll send these guys out now so that they attack after the peace treaty is signed. And if there's any sort of worries about, you know, us, uh, you know, uh, it's like, oh, we didn't violate the treaty. These guys are sent out before the treaty was made. So, you know, it's totally not our fault now because we agreed to it, just they didn't. So, you know... Yeah, this is it's an interesting thing that we just sort of accept. Okay, big bureaucratic military organization doesn't want to tell anybody what's going on. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Instead of why don't they just tell a colony what's happening? Like what is yeah. even mm-hmm. if like everyone knows what's going on, even if this thing does attack a colony, it's not going to threaten peace with the Klingons, like one of the most lasting yeah. pieces <laughs> we see in this show. Yes. <laughs> It's like this has become one of their strongest alliances and an interesting little subversion of what they were doing in the original series. Indeed. It's like, yeah, we're going to kind of team up against anybody, and the only time we don't is because the Klingons wanted to team up with us again, and we didn't. So. <laughs> you, just need, you need one line from Data going, this was a very common battle strategy for two years during the Klingon War that they abandoned because it's utterly stupid to have one of your warships <laughs> lie dormant for this long. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, add in you know, something about, you know, incorrect uh, time clocks or whatever. And, uh, that, you know, everything kind of you know evaporates in terms of the mystery there. Yeah. But, small, uh, small ice something or other hit their chronometer. Yes. But yeah, so, uh, but uh, sleeper soldiers and things like that. Uh, uh, it does kind of remind me of those, uh, the, the, another sort of uh, uh, thing that, uh, you know, in terms of ideas, uh, sometimes gets pulled out of uh, the Far East and Japan and things like that. Is that the burying yourself in a big pot or something and then popping up after the en- enemy's gone by? I seem to remember mm-hmm. that from something. No, I was more thinking of uh, unintentional versions of this. Uh, Japanese holdouts after mm. World War II. Because uh, yeah, there weren't a ton of them, but there were, uh, especially in the, you know, the first couple decades uh, after the war, 
uh, you know, they continue to sort of run into like, you know, you know, either small groups or, you know, like just one guy who's got, you know, kind of separated and isolated. Uh, that would, it's like, yeah, obviously the war's still going on. Uh, that's why I'm getting sort of doing these hit and run guerrilla tactics for the last 20 years on some random island in the Philippines. Cause you know, I can't really trust anyone that's, uh, around here cause they're obviously going to be against me. And so, you know, let's keep going. But, um, you know, the, uh, you know, eventually, you know, you know, a number of them were, uh, were tracked down and, uh, you know, surrendered or captured. And, uh, it's like, yeah, the war has been over for like eight years, guys, like chill. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That is going to be a problem with any, any war because, you know, you've, you've disrupted your ability to communicate usually as part of doing war. Yes. And you're, if you're out in the remote, wherever you're not going to get orders easily. You know, some of these guys are still popping up like as late as the seventies too. So it's like, uh, well, which one this is here? Uh, like, uh, on Guam, you know, which is, you know, U S territory these days, you know, uh, Sochi, uh, Yokoi, uh, y- I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, was on running around Guam for like over 26 years. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, was, uh, eventually captured. So, you know, it's like, yeah, like stop doing stuff here please <laughs> so yeah that was actually a real thing and it's uh just kind of you know you know weird but it's also one of those things where you get very isolated sort of locales like various islands uh you know in the pacific and the philippines uh, i think there's one from indonesia too uh, where you don't you know with lines of communication sort of falling apart uh and lots of propaganda going around and not really a way for them to get off the island to go home and make contact with uh, you know the other superiors and things like that directly. Um, you know, there's it's like I can't really trust any of this information that comes at me, so I have to sort of assume that things are still going on. And then once the war communications, you know, kind of you know are either not detectable at all, or uh, you know because. You know, it's like, oh, I've been living in the jungle for 10 years. I, I don't have a working radio. Um, or things kind of move on as far as the world generally, where it's not necessarily much coming out about, you know, World War II, to, you know, uh, being broadcast to particular random islands of the Pacific. You get kind of the uh, this isolation where, you know, you don't really know anything about going on. So you just kind of keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, of course, like in this... They said if anybody told them the war was over, they'd say you were lying because, of course, you would yes. say that. It's an yes. easy way to get you to surrender when you're isolated. And, uh, uh, you know, there were a number of uh, instances, uh, you know, where <laughs> I guess some version of we're kind of tired of being stuck on an island. So if we see anyone, we'll kind of just surrender. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you don't even have anyone to attack, that's kind of just you just live, you, then you're just marooned. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was like uh, in like 1955, there were like four uh, uh, airmen who were, uh, uh, you know, on a, an, at a place called Hollandia, uh, which is, you know, that's what was kind of being called all the time because, you know, the, the Netherlands was kind of in charge of large uh, sections of uh, Indonesia at the time. Uh, it was now Jayapura. Uh, but, um, you know, they were like, yeah, we had a larger group here and, um, you know, most of them didn't survive this last 10 years since the war. We'd like to go home, please. <laughs> so uh, we'll just kind of uh, put on the white flag and hope for the best. Oh, and uh, 
Now, there was uh, also uh, a couple guys that uh, uh, back on Guam, like, like you know, uh, 1948, they're like, hey, uh, policemen, uh, yeah, we're Japanese soldiers. Um, we're going to just surrender to you guys because, yeah, let's get us, get us out of here, please. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, well, still sometimes there's, uh, you know, like, you know, the 80s and 90s, there's still uh, rumors and sightings and things like that, but nothing really uh, uh, confirmed as far as, uh, you know, uh, you know, last holdouts decades, you know, down the line. Um, but uh, it is sort of, I guess, you know, has a, you know, a bit of truth to it, but kind of became a legend eventually. And uh, so, yeah, so this episode kind of always reminds me of this sort of thing, uh, you know, yet... You know, the isolation of space as opposed to an island, and you might have a little bit more, you know, maneuverability once you sort of come to, but you're still sort of out of time and out of place and, uh, you know, not really connected to anything, and you don't really know what's going on. And anything you try to make, uh, you know, sense of, uh, you know, you know, if you open communications with this strange Federation future ship, you know, you could be being lied to, perhaps, because, you know, clear, clearly it you know, would not make sense for the uh, the Federation to, uh, you know, have Klingons on the bridge. Wait a second. <laughs> hmm. Maybe there is something going on here that I'm unaware of. Did we take over the Federation? Sweet. I guess yeah. our job's done. Hooray. <laughs> I do like the way that they just uh, shocked them out of it with, yeah. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, you know, send in a uh, familiar-ish face, and uh, maybe you'll have a bit of luck. So, hooray! Yeah, holdouts, they're a thing. That's so, so sad, because uh, just get, yeah. like, forgotten. You shouldn't be forgotten like that. Yeah, you know, there's a good chance they probably were considered, uh, you know, missing in action, killed in action, some uh, sort of classification like that, too. But then, you know, someone's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this guy around. Keeps, you know, shooting at us when we ever go this uh, bit of the forest. So, yeah, like, could you, like, get him to move on, please? <laughs> mm. Do you mind this yeah. This guy's, like, keeps waving a gun? Yeah. Scaring yeah. people. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not all of them made it uh, back home. Uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, some suicides and a little bit more fighting. And, you know, there's still uh, – but a, a good number of them were uh, – you know, surrendered and or captured, uh, so they can get get going to return, hopefully to uh, their 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 previous lives or some such, but in a very different world. Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was depressed. We always get somewhere depressing, even when it's just about immigrants. Yep, <sighs> when they they gotta go home. Yeah, they do gotta that's go a, home. It's so sad. That's a, that's a happy story. Shouldn't leave them. Shouldn't leave them like that. But yeah, True. a lot of them got to go home eventually and then hopefully mm -hmm. rebuild their lives after all the war stuff. Yes. Yeah, well. But uh, yeah, it's still one of those weird quirks of uh, how things can happen, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone makes it home because, you know, you know, because they're killed in action in, the, in a fight uh, or they don't make it home because they were kind of forgotten. And that does kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> This is sad now. Now I'm just sad. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we can cheer ourselves up. Yeah. Now we don't have a good segue. So, you know, we can uh. just go to the galaxy's favorite game show. Oh! Hey, everybody. Welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. 
Well, it seems that we have a lot of Klingons here today. Uh, they've been uh, getting, getting lots of points here and, uh, you know, uh, swinging some swords in my gentle direction if I don't give them to them. So let's go ahead and start handing out the prizes so that I can, uh, you know, keep my head on my shoulders here. Anywho, the, the first one is the TV Love Story prize, which goes to Worf and Kalar. But, you know, Klingon style. A.K.A. animosity until it's time to get busy and then confusion afterwards. What do they win, Gepwin? They win their own sitcom, Mad At You. <laughs> is it uh, also going to have that one actress uh, uh, pop in as a main character for a while? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Our uh, second prize today is the Fricicle Prize, which goes to the crew of the Chong, the, uh, the Klingon battle cruiser there, for their ill-conceived mission deep into Federation territory that only took 75 years to make, and where no one thought maybe the status quo would be radically different by the time they arrived, or maybe something else is going on. We don't know. Anyway, what do they win, Gepwin? They get a fun robot friend to tell them about the future and be a general bad influence, and then they get to go on <laughs> wacky adventures that comment on the era that they came from, but through a futuristic lens, which is probably mostly murder. It's also pretty lucky that these are the ones that still had the uh, head ridges. So otherwise, they'd just yes. be really confused. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, the the Klingon forehead club for uh, everybody, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, they uh, they went through that program and uh, we're good to go. And, but it does kind of feed into my uh, my fan theory about the Klingons. Anyway, um, the final prize uh, today is the Suddenly Marriage Prize, which goes just to war for going from a sudden hookup uh, where instincts drove their actions and all that to kicking off the marriage oath and like, come on, Kalar, let's do this. And why are you running? Uh, yes. So what does Worf win for being kind of clueless? Worf gets to go teach sex education in the U.S. because he's obviously a fan of abstinence only or you get married and die style mm. education. Yes. Um, so, uh, Worf, uh, have fun uh, running a school somewhere in Oklahoma. Well, things got depressing again. What, Kepwin? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> like you will not have sex, or you will swear a blood oath and dishonor your family. So you know, be careful there, kids. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, don't let yourself uh, you know uh, drive your fingernails into the palm of your hand too much, uh, because otherwise you'll, uh, you'll you'll wake up in the morning with a with a you know a smile on your face, perhaps, but then the sudden realization that you're going to um, not Stovocor, the other place there. Yeah, whatever that was. <laughs> Hang out with uh, Mechlar, was it? Yeah. Thing? But, yeah. His, his, the, the place and the guy sound really similar. Oh. <laughs> well, the the drooling... We'll get to it. Yeah. Ligon afterlife guy. Yeah, yeah. drooling double dude. <laughs> Fecklar? Anyway, uh, that's all I got here today, Gapwood. That's a different Take season. us away. <laughs> yes, thank you, Klingons and everyone else for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. <laughs> I forgot to do the thing. Yeah, new thing. Yes. Dun 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 dun. Well, there you go. Now I will definitely not be too lazy to edit that back in somewhere. I'm sure you've been hearing that all through the episode. Yes. Whenever the over and over again. Yes. And then Kalar comes in. Dun 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 dun.
Hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, what, what do we got on tap next? Now we move on to uh, what was one of my favorite episodes for a while. It's, it's a little dumb, but I've always enjoyed this style of episode, which seems to be in just, just in everything for some reason. It, it's a very popular episode style for this kind of TV, especially in the like you know 80s to between the 80s and the like early mid 2000s an episode where uh you find yourself uh in charge of a uh, broken down spaceship and have to get it working yeah the war game episode yeah (laughs) this this one's gonna be peak performance which is the war game episode where Riker is put in charge of his own ship and has to fight the enterprise and this annoying dude um plays not chess yes (laughs) The Kohlrami, which I actually like Kohlrami as a character. Yeah. I, I think he gets a, a little bit of a bad rap uh, from, uh, you know, you know, especially uh, uh, Pulaski, especially uh, that, you know, he might come off as slightly arrogant, but everyone else is like, oh, this guy's just so arrogant. Not really. <laughs> a little. But he's, like... he's, conf- he's confident, I guess. And, you know, he knows his abilities and, you know, is trying to sort of pull out the best from the people around him that's you know he's there to teach and he has stuff to teach people so he's, you know he's standoffish yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i really like the actor i really like the actor playing him yes. he does a really good job with this weird mm-hmm. alien yes uh yeah he's you know uh, uh uh roy brocksmith is is kind of awesome like that you know yeah, we've already uh, seen him in things as we'll we'll get yes. into later but like he's he's been in movies we've seen yes uh, he's also been in Babylon 5, but we can talk more about that next time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just randomly looking at his fil- at the filmography here. And um, one, one of his things from, from the late 90s is uh, Psycho. I think it's one of the weird remake ones. Psycho, man in cowboy hat, outside reality office. <laughs> Uncredited. I guess they just needed extra extra. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted to be there. Just happy to be here. Man in cowboy hat. <laughs> do you want to do you want to be in psycho yeah <laughs> so yeah anyway <laughs> that this is uh yeah the war game episode which they had in this they had in stargate they just they just love love themselves a good war game episode yeah. it's like we're gonna fight but we're gonna pretend at it so we can all be like explaining what we're doing and why we're doing it in order to uh, get people uh, to understand the nuances of what's of the action, uh, so I guess it's like it's maybe in the sort of same super genre as like a heist movie in the Ocean's Eleven style. Yeah, it's just a fun. It's just a fun. You get to enjoy all of the stupid fighting bits that they do instead of it being life and death or oh we shouldn't kill anyone. Yes, so yeah, we're gonna take out the stakes for this, but uh, there's going to be stakes of different sorts. Ha <laughs> Uh-huh. and then also because... we see a board game with the most like unintuitive ludicrous controls yes <laughs> it's like a 3d snake but you're against another person at the same time i guess yeah, sort of <laughs> it's weird it's yeah. so weird no one no this could never work <laughs> it looks like learning how to control the board would be half of the thing you needed to do yes <laughs> But, uh, you know, I do think that uh, it's one of those sort of things that I do hope someone comes up with a version for, like, VR, because uh, it is just so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has. 
must be. Hopefully. But yeah, next so what we've got uh, <laughs> we <don't know. laughs> peak performance where a dude with, with gills is, is a little bit snooty at everyone. Mm-hmm. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, a challenge. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>